Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is the podcast where we give you uh, the tools you need to fight for a better future for everyone. And we are doing that today for sure. Uh, we're giving you the context straight from the smartest people on earth out there working on the front lines and the action steps you can take to support them. That's right. Our guests are scientists, they're doctors and nurses, journalists, engineers, farmers, politicians, activists, educators, business leaders, astronauts, even a reverend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And despite your Wi-Fi going in and out, uh, hopefully people heard that list. Uh, this is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. And despite your Wi-Fi going out, I hope people could hear that. You can also join tens of thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, Brian, this week's episode is getting into how do we orchestrate a just energy transition for frontline, low and middle income communities and cities, and most importantly, doing that from the inside out. And who's here to tell us and teach us? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, our guest, Daphne Rose Sanchez. Daphne. And boy, does she have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, we feel very lucky that she shared it with us and, and all of the ways that, uh, we can, we can help out. Stay tuned, because this is a good one, and find out why a just transition is the only way forward and what you can do to make it happen in your city. Absolutely. All right, let's go talk to Daphne. Let's go. Our guest today is Daphne Rose Sanchez, I think. And together, we are putting the people first and finding out how to transition frontline, low and middle income residents to a clean energy future. Uh, Daphne, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we think it's you. Ten <laughs> seconds ago, I asked you if you could pronounce your name because I am terrible with names. And you said, I think my name is Daphne Rose Sanchez. And I said, stop, stop, stop. What, wh what is happening? Well, my parents are um, Brooklyn natives. And so there's, there's like a lot of Spanglish in our vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And so my father's name is Daniel and my mother's name is Darlene. And they're like, oh, we like the name Stephanie. So let's merge it into two and just keep the DA. So my dad introduces me as Daphne Rose Sanchez. Uh -huh. And my mom introduces me as Daphne Rose Sanchez. So uh. <laughs> all my life, people are like, am I pronouncing your name right? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I honestly have no <laughs> idea. <it>. Who cares? <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, do, do you gravitate towards one of them? Or have you, like, was there a teenage period where you embraced one? I'm fascinated by this. As long as, I honestly, as long as it sounds similar to any of those two, I'm okay with it. Because I've had people just like give up and call me Stephanie. And I'm like, no, that's well, not yeah, my name. No. <laughs> Daphne, I'm fine with. Daphne, like Daph Daphne is fine. But don't call me Stephanie because it's not yeah, my right. name. Yeah, right. Can't just call me Jeff. Like that's not what my name is. <laughs> no, uh, not nice. That's amazing. Well, thank you for that backstory. That's really helpful. Now I just want to hang out with your parents. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah they're they, sound, they sound pretty cool, great. Cool cats. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Well, we figured out your name. That's so wonderful. And then now, Daph, can I call you Daph? You can call me Daph. That's fine. Uh, can Jesus you, uh, Brian. can you, <laughs> I just want to add, I want to add Daph, more options Daphne, into the mix. Daphne is fine. <laughs> if like, you stray away from the D, then that's when you're, 
you're off. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> right. <It's fine. laughs> Daphne, can you uh, can you tell uh, our listeners, please, uh, briefly, just like who you are and and what you do? Sure. My name is Daphne or Daphne Sanchez, Rose Sanchez. Um, I'm a born and raised Brooklynite. I am actually a fourth generation Brooklynite, so I bleed Brooklyn, Brooklyn till I die. Um, The work that I do is really focused on energy equity and affordability. I have been working in this space for about 12 years now, really understanding how can we help our communities get to a climate justice transition. Um, A lot of times people, you've heard people talking about like, we need to do X, Y, and Z to get to go. And we're and what my company, Kinetic Communities, does is, is say, hold on, we don't want to do that. Let's make sure we're incorporating Black and Brown communities into the solution and right the wrongs that has been done time and time again. And one of the things that we always say is like, we love this planet, but this planet has done... like People in this planet have done detrimental things to Black and Brown communities. And if Getting to net zero by 2050 means that we have to once again let black and brown communities down. Then honestly, let's let the planet go to shit Um, because it's not worth living in a planet where people aren't cared for. So we really work with um, government and utility and helping them thinking about, okay, you want to install solar in the community how does that look like? Okay, you want to install air source heat pumps. You know, instead of bringing outside contractors, who are the contractors, the mom and pop shops that have already been helping that community? And how do we make sure that they have the appropriate resources mm-hmm. to transform um, and keep up with the new technology evolution? Um, I'm very proud of what I do. It's pretty unique because we're looking at it really from that just transition lens and like. I care about energy. I, I know the engineering. I know the, the the policies behind it. But more importantly, like I don't want to see my community holding <laughs> holding the problem for everyone else just to get us to net zero. And so that's a little bit of what I do. Um, I focus on New York only. I think I said it in the beginning, and I, <laughs> I want to emphasize like Something my solutions in New York. Brooklyn, Brooklyn for in life, your, in I believe. Blood. Bro- yes, Brooklyn yes, for yes. life. Right, right, Brooklyn right. for life. Brooklyn Got for life. So, but I actually work throughout the five boroughs um, awesome. because that's where all New Yorkers are. <laughs> Rock and that's roll. So great, so great. Lift up, lift up the community. Like, how can you? How can you be doing anything better than that? Incredible. See, Brian. I'm working on it. Um, awesome, <laughs> Daphne. Thank you. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna keep going here. Um, uh, Quinn is gonna uh, provide some quick context for our uh, our little topic today, and then we'll get into some action oriented questions uh, and 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 actions that everybody out there can do uh, to uh, support you and and be just more aware of what's going on and what needs to be done. Sound good? Sounds good. Sounds like a game plan. Daphne, we like to start with one important question though to set the tone for this uh, these shenanigans. Um, instead of saying, tell us your entire life story, uh, we like to ask, and we've adjusted this a little bit recently, um, Daphne, why are you vital to the survival of the planet as we know it? <laughs> I encourage you to be bold and honest. Uh, you know, I hear, I, so the, the two other podcasts that I've heard, I heard this question and I sat Ooh. there and then she and stopped I, listening. And yeah. then I stopped listening because I was like, what is this? Like, this is ridiculous. No. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like, what? What, is, what does this even mean? Uh-huh. I think, and, I, and I've been joking around with every single person I've met, by the way, <laughs> with this question. I'm like, so what do you guys, what do you guys think? 
Um, no, but I think that on the on the macro scale, there are leaders that I admire that are really pushing the envelope and globally thinking about how do we address climate change. On the micro level, I feel like my experience um, being, you know, third generation public housing resident, being from like a low income community, and really ensuring that climate does climate action and program design is being inclusive is the way that I am supporting our world moving forward. And a lot of people find me to be very aggressive and like (laughs) a little bit too forward. And I'm like, yeah, well, at least, you know, if I'm being aggressive with you today and saying like, you need to incorporate minority contractors in your in your programming, or you need to ensure low-income communities have access to solar without putting a financial burden to them, then you might be resistant to me saying that. But the next person that comes down the line and they say the same thing, you'll be more amendable to doing that because mm. you've already like faced that. And so I feel like I've been um, in a position where like my firm um, and the work that I do is really challenging kind of the norms and energy efficiency of how people operate and saying... All right, this is trash. Like, you need to do this better. You need to be mindful of the structural racist practices that's happened in the past and you need to make it right. Um, so, I think that's what I'm contributing. I'm, I'm, I'm giving people that kind of chance to feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, and they might not act on it right away, but, you know, the next generation or other individuals that might elevate and emphasize on that same topic. We'll do the work because I'll be like, oh, right. That's, you know, that's what Daphne said. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I said <laughs> to you like five months ago. I love um, that. So, so yeah. Uh, I love it. I, I, I think that's great. Give them, give them the, uh, give them the radical candor. Let's, let's do this thing. Clock, uh, yeah. clock is ticking. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you for your bold. Thank you for researching this topic since you listened to 20 minutes of our podcast. <laughs> I appreciate all the thought and energy you've put into this. <laughs> 40 minutes total. 20 episodes of two minutes. Total, yeah, so I was going to say right. technically 40 minutes. Because I was, I was like, I listened to one and then I listened to the other. And I was like, okay, once it gets to this question, I'm like, uh, this is like the 20 minute mark already. <laughs> and right. so I'm like, she, okay. <laughs> it's good, good, good that twice, just to be sure, check, check the list. Twice you were just like, I've made an enormous mistake. Like, how can I get out of this? Please, Hurricane, I know. come and turn off my power. No, no, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> not, absolutely not that. Um, I, so I don't know if you guys know, but actually, like, I, as I was mentioning before, I have a tremendous respect for, for Hurricane. So not only have I, like, lived through, um, like, three generations of public housing, but my parents were the first ones to move out of public housing, buy a house in Staten Island. And then within less than a year, we lost the house. Um, And we were in the house when Hurricane Sandy happened. So I was doing my final presentation for undergrad and I was like in the Zoom doing my work and my mother comes in and she's like, you know, Daphne, I think you know, I think you left the toilet running. And I'm like, mom, I don't leave the toilet running. Like, I know I'm not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, she's like, oh no, Daphne, like that's not the toilet. That's, that's flood water. And I start cracking up because I was like, oh my God, like you're being paranoid. This is the, again, being the typical New York. I'm like, this is New York. Nothing like that ever happens here. Like that's only like those post-apocalyptic movies where, (laughs) where Mm -hmm. floods happen. 
And I kid you not, it was 6.30 p.m. Um, the moment I started laughing and I closed my door, I get back on my bed. I open the shades of my window and it's just brown water, like all the way to the top of the window. And I oh remember God. at that moment thinking, what is going on? My my dad is like, oh my God, Daphne, get the dog. And my mom comes and I just stood there looking at the window. Like it was like a foot, a foot away from me. She yanks me out of the room. And the moment she yanks me out of the room, my floorboards burst and my window burst with water, just rushing in, rushing in, rushing in, rushing in. And, <laughs> and what I was telling her, I was like, oh my God. My final thesis is underwater. <laughs> uh. And she's like, Daphne, stop. Like, go upstairs right now. You, you know, like, this is not a game. And I'm like, no, I need to get my pay. Like, no, I worked so hard for this. Um, I start catching a million panic. It's like a worst case scenario. I start catching a bunch of panic attacks. My dad sure. is diabetic. My mom is epileptic. And she's trying to keep my mm -hmm. father and I down because my mom, my father's Puerto Rican. And so again, born and raised in Brooklyn. He was raised in Marcy and then in Cooper. And I was raised in, in Marcy and Cooper. So we've never really experienced something like this where she was born and raised in Brooklyn, but she spent some time in Costa Rica and she's seen flash floods. Mm -hmm. So she immediately knew what was going on. And she like took faja. She took ropes and then she like put it around us. And she's like, okay, this is how we're going to stay together. We're going to stay on wow. the roof. We're going to, um, you know, call 911 and we're just going to have to ride this out. When literally there was like around the entire house was surrounded in water and it wasn't like till one o'clock in the morning we got rescued by boat and i remember when we got rescued by boat i like the i'm having a panic attack and the, and the firefighter was like um to my mother like how old is your daughter she's like she's old enough to not be acting like this and i was like no no we're on this boat like you know this is a part in the movies where people get rescued and the second tide comes and then you got to swim back to the house because the boat turns over <laughs> oh my god I cannot um, imagine yeah so I feel and then they left us like a mile away from the house that, like it was a mile away and the evacuation like where you're supposed to evacuate was also flooded and it just looked like complete like end of world and I was just so jarred about it because I was studying sustainability and like in this work um, and really looking at it exclusively as like, oh, I, I care about housing, right? And I want to make housing a better, better for black and brown communities. But at that specific moment, with all this knowledge on climate change and sustainability, I couldn't do anything. Like I was just there saying, we're going to die. <laughs> and my mother was the one that was like, no, let's do this. Let's get here. Let's do that. And I'm forever grateful for that. So that's why I say I also have a lot of respect for hurricanes and kind of that perspective of this is like this is some real shit that's happening today. We mm -hmm. talk about climate solutions as a, you know it's some future but every single day people are going through climate disasters and and of course it's black and brown communities that are experiencing it first. Of course. Um, we're talking about, you know, energy efficiency and solutions. We have to think about what are we doing today to make sure that these communities don't have to go through what I had to go through. And that's what makes me like super aggressive with people being like, I, I literally give zero fudges oh, <laughs> about what you clear, think. You can <laughs> swear <that> definitely. <laughs> unless it's going to make the chanting happen faster, you can definitely start dropping F-bombs here. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, 
it is it is appropriate. Um, well, we appreciate. First of all, that's a horror show, and I'm sorry you had to live through one of those movies. That's that's just truly wild. But um, I'm glad that everybody is okay. And yes, uh, it is. Whether if you are swimming in the ocean in a wildfire, uh, going through a hurricane, watching a tornado, any of these things, you just realize uh, nature is just so much bigger and more powerful than we are. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's, there's no version of, of fighting it. So, but there are things we can do and focus on things we can control. And that's what I want to do today. Um, because as you alluded to, and we allude to basically every show, we can all agree that the status quo, I mean, pick, pick your subject, your topic is, is unjust, uh, to so many. And so we have to design a, a near future and a long-term future and a transition into those futures that, that are vastly more just and to most practically and fairly do so to those that have been uh, left behind, often on purpose, or they've been redlined, whatever it might be. Um, those people, not only we, we we can't just design for them, but they have to be a part of that conversation. They have to be, to use the ridiculous, uh, the ridiculous quote these days, they have to be in the room where it happens, right? And so, so much of our, of our future is cloudy. Um, uh, figuratively and, and literally. Um, so we have to operate from the facts on the ground. Uh, we have to extrapolate what we can uh, for the near term and provide both a safety net uh, for now and, and the near future, because that doesn't exist, but also reach for something that's so much better and higher and more equitable. And and again, like you mentioned, and, and is the idea today is, you know, just as Frontline communities have to be first in line when designing disaster preparedness efforts or adaptation and mitigation efforts. It's imperative that they're not only protected from the negative, but benefit first mm -hmm. from the enormous opportunities before us for so many reasons. Clean energy, cleaner air, cleaner, more affordable water, better jobs, you know, participating in these new circular personal yeah. and, and community economies where, where the work you do improves the world around you in practical, measurable ways, you know, reducing waste, not only in food and water and power and land, but in human potential. And, and so much of that has been wasted. And again, a lot of it on purpose because of things like white supremacy. So right. uh, yep. <laughs> let's talk today about transitioning frontline and low-income communities to to this more just energy future. And, and, and Daphne, I know you've made it a point to teach people that as part of this, that community is everything. And as much as we're all very much apart in these weird ways right now, community has also meant more than ever during uh, COVID. So you've made it very clear, you're fourth generation Brooklyn. Uh, you're working in the same community you grew up in. You guys moved out for a minute before the floods came. <laughs> um, so you're working for these same families and so many others who need and deserve quality, affordable, housing and then and then everything we can bring to that just to focus on you for a second is there what like why do you feel uniquely suited to do this job is there a specific relationship you can point to that, that got you here was there a specific moment besides the floods uh, towering over your windows like why you for this i mean for me i feel like there are not a lot of individuals in the sector that really understands the intersectionality, right? Growing up um, in public housing, there is this 
stereotype that you should be embarrassed of being grown of growing up in this neighborhood, that you should feel ashamed of government subsidies. And you are kind of this concept of being quarantined, right? We're going through a quarantine through coronavirus. But this concept of quarantine is not new for folks that live in public housing. We're always seen as like a subpar human uh, species just because of where we live. And I think that that experience that I've had growing up in public housing and then experiencing Sandy, um, that kind of combination really um, allows me to think about unique policy recommendations, unique program developments, and um, unique implementation design that can be influential in my community and really showing our communities like enough is enough. Like these stereotypes exist and they're not true. How do we start working for ourselves to build our gener- intergenerational wealth? Because we really can't wait for you know a knight in shining armor to come down and be like, oh, well, now we want to do solar for you. Like, aren't you happy? Right. Right. It's like, no, I'm not. Right. <laughs> like, you're already taking our land and you want to continue kind of perpetuating um, these issues. So that's why for me, like my my voice and the work that I do is I I believe is very unique. Um and I and I and I I look for the day to have to meet someone else that's had the same experience in me that is doing the same work that I'm doing. Um, because it's hard. I work in this intersection of housing and energy and really making it focused, honed in on the community. Whereas I think that the sector as a whole, like I see buildings as, this is so wonky to people, like I see buildings as like a a living ecosystem, right? They have Mm -hmm. um, community members that are breathing in these buildings that have created a culture around these buildings. And I love that culture. And I feel like in order for us to get to this climate transition, I need to show everyone like, like there's beauty inside of these cultures that you consider low income, that you consider so subpar. And we need to elevate our communities so that they can start receiving the benefits that have been taken away from them for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just don't know anyone else that does it. But if you guys know folks, please, please connect me because I'm like yearning to meet other women of color doing this work throughout throughout the country. Well, not, I don't know if I'm ever answering your question, but <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I think you did. I, I think it's important, but I also think it's a little like, uh, I mean, this is just, I, I shouldn't even go off of this, but it's a little like the question of, are there, uh, are there other planets with like intelligent aliens on them? Right. Which is <laughs> we're finding more and more planets and more and more suns and all this thing. And so if you do the math, like theoretically there should be, but at the same time, uh, we're not hearing from anybody. And mm-hmm. you would think with, you know, 330, whatever million people in America that somewhere out there, there would be other people and even further other other local people, even further other women or, uh, you know, women of color that that are doing this job. But there haven't been many. And I think there's reasons behind that, which is it's designed against them. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I... I I can't imagine that your job is on on you know Fortune magazine's like list of most re- lucrative jobs, right? Um, it's like public <laughs> school teachers, right? And that sucks because right. we need people 
specifically like you for a, a, of a number of reasons, doing jobs like these more than ever. Um, not just because like w- this is a job that needs to exist because of the transitions we're going to be going through, but but you are qualified to do it in a, in a number of reasons. The problem is, is like this next generation of people who want to make a difference either find uh, the higher education that that is probably required yes. in some way, probably not like today because today's broken, completely affordable, or they graduate with this you know, back-breaking debt that's impossible to pay off right. in a job like yours, but Absolutely. a job that's improving and saving lives. Why do you feel like we make this so fucking difficult, you know? And are there ways I mean, you can think of... structural racism. Well, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, no. I mean, like people course, are just besides that. I feel like people are just so... And I, I've had this conversation with some, like, corporations now ever since everything has um, come out the past couple of months. People are like, oh, well, like, how can we support black and brown businesses? And I'm like, well, look at your internal practices, right? How are you, like, who are you going to hire? How are you supporting folks that have different, like, cultural backgrounds and socioeconomical class? How are you designing? How are you reaching out to buildings and engineering buildings? One of the things that we do is, like, I don't like I went to I went to undergrad and grad school. I went to grad school right after Sandy and because of that I didn't get any financial aid. It was like, oh well, like sorry, you missed the deadline. And I was like, Yeah, sorry, I almost died. So couldn't submit an application. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. There are just like structural racism and then it's also greed, right? So and there's this idealism of like, well, you know, we had to struggle to like make it this far. So the next generation has to struggle as well. And it's like, why? Why are you creating these fake barriers so that people can so that you can feel validated when like you can't you can't create fake barriers and then at the same time say we need a climate solution today. (laughs) Um, And a lot of companies are thinking about you know, they, they're asking for master degrees. They want, you know, five to eight years of experience and paying $40,000 a year. And when Mm -hmm. I see that, I'm like, that right there shows that like greed and like how much you can get out of someone is way more important than any climate action that you're really interested in moving forward. Um, So we encourage folks to think about, okay, you have a job position that you want to put out there. What are the physical day-to-day steps that that individual is doing? Are they coordinating meetings? Are they, you know, looking for solutions? Are they integrating financing? Are they, you know, creating an engineering audit and putting numbers on a spreadsheet and doing whatever? Um, Take out all of the jargon that you might have related to energy or financing and housing. Just have the simple um, skill list. And then... Put that out there with, you know, if you want somebody that's done that for one year, two years, zero years, because you think this is something that somebody will learn on the job, that should be the, the that should be the requirement. That's it. Mm-hmm. The education mm-hmm. doesn't matter. You could have gone to a community college or the most elite college in the world. What you learn on the job is going to be so valuable. And so when you do something like that and you encourage, you strongly encourage and you go out of your comfort zone. And you engage with workforce development providers or nonprofits or other folks that are not in your immediate circles and saying, hey, you know, we're looking for someone with these characteristics, these skill sets. They can be in the sector, they can, you know, be in other sectors. And interviewing them for those raw uh, skill sets, then you're really trying to kind of transform that market and you're really eliminating those barriers that you're creating. Well, like, no, you need to have, you know, 4.0 GPA, 
Harvard graduate with 10 years of work experience for $40,000 mm. a year. Right. No, it's just like, <laughs> no, that does. That, yeah. So we do that. Like we, like, and I, I'm very proud of like our first employee. She came from like the work, the healthcare sector and her mm. job was um, supporting seniors Look, they were coming into the hospital. They were look, trying to pay for services that they received at the hospital. And she would like walk them through different insurance plans. Our job was working with affordable housing, um, low-income cooperatives that are like buildings that were owned by residents collectively and they're affordable. And we work with those co-ops and like explain to them, look at their capital stacks, look at how much money they have in in their reserves, Mm -hmm. um, help them understand like what mechanical systems need to be upgraded to more high efficiency ones. And like, what are the resources out there um, to get the job done and do the construction management of that? And when I, when I met her and like heard about her job, I was like, oh my God, like you're perfect for this. You know, you it's the same exact job. The only difference is the product. Um, And she is like phenomenal. She learned it super quickly. Um, She was able to get that. And she was super nervous in the beginning, right? She was like, oh my God, like the energy sector, I'm not an engineer. And I was like, you like engineering was not a degree until fairly recently. The way people became an engineer back in the day was that their father was an engineer. And so they learned the trade on the job. And we really need to go back to learning the trade on the job and really de and they call it like deindustrializing the educational system. Because once we start doing that, you know, then we can really see more people of color, more women entering these fields when you take out these fake, you know, barriers that um, people are putting. So that's kind of one example of, of how we can start fixing this this mess in order to to get closer to this climate action um, that we're looking for. I love, love that. that. Yeah. That's such a uh, yeah, that's awesome. I, I love Dev that you that you you know sort of frame the transition as an as an opportunity right for for affordable quality public housing and uh, you know clean power and clean energy jobs. It's uh, it's holistic and it may be a, a fundamental lesson for us as, as we seek to to find transferable lessons from community to community or, or state to state, shoreline to shoreline. Um, and so many different places across the world are already facing their their own sandies, right? Their own sea level rise and unaffordable housing, uh, way more dangerous floodplains and and inescapable urban heat. What have you learned in the I guess in the past few years that could sort of be built into a, a blueprint for uh, for other communities? And, and also, what's what's unique about about your home about about Brooklyn? I would say. A lot of times government are kind of rushing into these ideas of getting to net zero by 2050 because we have to do it. I think one thing that's essential, and I know a lot of folks have mentioned it and I just have to continue emphasizing it, is how do you ensure that you are engaging the right partners to get you to that Mm -hmm. transition? Even if you feel like a partner is extremely knowledgeable and you feel comfortable, you, how do you get out of that comfort zone and start engaging partners that have been in those neighborhoods for 20, 30, 40 years? Um, because those individuals may have, not may definitely have 
unique solutions on how to support communities transition because they have been supporting them with every other single thing, right? They've been supporting them seeking housing. They've supported them with food access. They've supported them with health. Energy is another thing. Like it's not, uh, uh, you know, energy efficiency and climate solutions and climate resiliency is not, you know, a foreign, unique, mystique thing. No, it's just another service that is in, that can be integrated into the everyday work. Um, and I think that's something that's incredibly critical for um, cities across the country um, and states to think about is like, who are you actually engaging for these conversations? And please don't engage a consultant, <laughs> like engage the community, because <laughs> right. that right. again, defeats the purpose and really putting your money where your mouth is, right? Like you say you care about um, environmental justice communities. Well, let's see how you actually do it. Are you designing these programs? Are you, you know, putting the RFP out only, you know, for large companies to apply for? Are you actually like making the effort to know what you don't know? Um, and, and I've had conversations with folks where they're like, well, you know, we just, we don't feel comfortable. We don't think they have the capacity. We don't, really understand like how can this allude to um, getting us to net zero? And it's like, well, um, <laughs> you should talk to them directly. Like, right. Of course you're not going to understand. <laughs> <laughs> like you, I, can't, right. I can't tell you what my, my, at what time my neighbor is going to start talking. Like <laughs> I should just ask her. Um, yeah. so. What a wild idea. Yeah. I know. It, it's so funny because I tell folks all the time, like the work that we do, like, I love the work that we do and the team that we put together and the partners that we have. But it all for me feels like very common sense because I grew up like my parents are like, you have a question, you ask for it. Like you ask, like it's not that hard. It's not that complicated. But then sure. as you enter the workforce, this concept of like, oh, well, community engagement, people are so scared of doing it. Like they're so scared of reaching out to the community because the community, you know, they have these mis again, these stereotypes and these misconceptions of communities going to be aggressive and me. And it's like, well, take a step back. Do you understand why this, that's the kind of um, response and engagement you're getting? Are you just like imposing an idea? Are you just doing it in an extractive manner where you're like, we want all this information so we can create an RFP and then just shoot it off to large consultants. Because right. if that's the relationship you're creating, then of course people are going to be mad at you. Like you yourself as a human being wouldn't like it. Um, so I always say like I work in the field of like just showing people what's common sense. <laughs> like making them yeah. come to that realization. <laughs> but but I mean, someone like you is required, like the vice president of common sense of like no shit. <laughs> idiot is is so valuable and is is one of the biggest things that's missing from virtually every american company from like startup to massive corporation <laughs> which is i mean how many times do you see an advertisement or see a product or think of someone uh, see something that someone said or put out a show mm -hmm. where you go like are you telling me that like 12 fucking people approved this and <laughs> and it's right. this this still right. happened and you're like well yeah cuz it's like 12 white guys between between like 38 and 62 and and they're the same person. They're just yeah. printed out of a fucking machine. Like, exactly. Of course they did. Um, because there was no other, like along that list of 12 guys, there was no different, there, there wasn't a different perspective at anywhere along the line. Yep. Yeah. Right. 
And and so you're like, yeah, I, my job is implying common sense to people, but <laughs> so many of these people, it it doesn't it doesn't click for them. And and right. it's funny, I I had written something down when I I was I was uh, doing some reading on you, um, and I thought <laughs> I have this I have this wonderful friend who's who's so smart and so uh, such a, a, a wonder works hard and is a wonderful voice for for. Uh, the struggle for writers and in, in Los Angeles, but uh, also for 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 the black community. And and he has this great tweet that I, is like three years old now, maybe even older. Um, and it's it's fantastic. And it just says, his name is Franklin Leonard, and it says, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression, but it's not. And it's so simple, and it's so specific, and it's made me think of, you know, there's this story in. Washington Post and New York Times in the past couple of weeks, basically talking about um, in, in places where cities and towns have started to actually finally focus on their low income and or black and brown communities with regard to urban heat or disaster planning or public transportation or food deserts or future uh, COVID vaccine access. There's been a bit of pushback from everyone else, which is the people who are used to being taken care of first, or the mm. people who, like you said, get the RFP and swoop in and say, let me build this shit, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not unexpected because America's a fucking racist place. Mm -hmm. like, and greedy, racist and greedy. Just, right, and they go together <laughs> so well for these 12 white guys, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, we had this just tremendous conversation last year, which I can't believe it's been a year, but I mean, every day feels like a year now, with uh, Rihanna Gunwright, and she's one of the architects of the Green New Deal. And she... Yeah, you know, I know her. <laughs> she, is, she is the shit. I love her so yeah. much. But she talked with us and talks publicly all the time about how important it was objectively, but also personally, that she include things like clean energy access and clean energy jobs specifically for black people and low-income communities in the Green New Deal. And it was A, because one, it's the right thing to do. Two, because those people are out of work and, and need jobs. Three, we need those specific jobs. And four, because she said, she was like, I am, I'm, I'm writing this for people that I know, for my, for my family and mm -hmm. friends back in, in Detroit. Um, so I, on that note a little bit, as we, as we go kind of broader, it, it's obviously so helpful and important when possible for people who do your particular job uh, to work in the zip code they're familiar with, if not where they're raised, right? Um, but how can, in, in sort of Rihanna's example, how can broader statewide policy or federal policy take into account most effectively localities across the country for doing things like you're doing? Well, Let I, me know if any of that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I would continue to say like they just need to talk to the people locally, like make the effort. Like people make effort to figure out what companies they want to work in, right? Like you, you, you do some research on it and you figure it out and you make your introduction and you work so adamantly to go to a specific company or go to a specific educational, um, in the like in the uh, educational university like the same thing should be done to communities like there's a value um in engaging community organization there's a value of engaging and like uplifting community based um urban planners and community based consultants even at the federal level there are 
lessons learned and best practices from different regions, whether it's rural and ur- or mm-hmm. urban, um, that can be incredibly valuable when you're designing these programs. Because I think one of the things that happens, there's like a federal energy program that exists. And like in certain neighborhoods, it's great because they have like the printed out versions. But in other neighborhoods where you have uh, a younger like um, building property manager, you can only get the printed out. And it's like, really, why can't we do things online? Um, I literally had to spend like three months waiting to get a paper copy of an application to get grant funding for a building that had a temporary boiler. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's ridiculous. So I think that there's... That's ob- ridiculous. Yeah, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. There is nothing, even with paper, that should take three months in 2020. No, the math just, just literally doesn't add up. Ugh. It's insane. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And a lot of energy solutions um, and like climate solutions are really, they're either antiquated when it comes to like LMI, low income and like black and brown people engagement, or they're done in the in the space where it's like exclusively designed in the idea of privatization and like making investors more money. There's no in between. Um, and this is kind of one of my frustrations. It's like on the federal level, you need to start like, they, they need to get out of their comfort zone. They need to start understanding what are the inefficiencies that exist in their current systems um, that are intentional and how do you start moving that forward? Um, and just kind of giving you all another example with that same program, like the idea and the concept of we need to conserve more energy. We need to eliminate fossil fuels. Um, but in that program, it only takes into consideration American citizens. Mm. And it's like, what does a citizenship, what is a, what is a status? You know, if you're a DACA, um, if you're an immigrant, like why does that matter to your energy consumption? It makes no freaking sense. And it's incredibly mm. infuriating when people are like designing these programs and like, we need to get to net zero. We need to, you know, support um, affordable housing. And they say it right in the broadest of scopes to like, in, mm-hmm. a, like force privatization. And then it's like, okay, well, give us the money and let us right. work it. And then they're like, oh, no, no, no. But we need, you know, we need a social, we need your firstborn and give us the rest of your paychecks. Like, <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> so, um, so that's my suggestion for local is the same for federal, is the same for state. Really, on their like, Start getting uncomfortable. Start connecting with folks. We have a deadline, yes, but the deadline doesn't mean shit if we're going to be in the same space we are today. I can, I sure. can, I'm, I'm a hundred percent confident we're going to get to net zero and by 2050. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt in my mind that we will be fossil free. Mm-hmm. But I know, and this is my frustration, is that we've seen our economy transition time and time again. And every single time, our communities are the ones to to um, to um, receive the, the the short end of the stick. Yeah, at, at best they're left out, and uh, that's not usually the way it goes. You know, at, at the normal state of affairs is, hey, guess what? Now we've got refineries, and you have to live <laughs> next to those. Right. Um, yeah. No, it's a nightmare. So, is there something that I thought about? And and this might be me being entirely uneducated on on this specific structure, which w- would be the like the seventh time today, and it's noon. <laughs> 
So I thought about, you know, in, in the lack of climate action the past uh, four or five years, federally, there's been a num- num- number of ad hoc and, and informal and, in, and for, more formal organizations that have popped up um, to to take action on more local and statewide levels. And there's associations and uh, all this, all this shit. Um, and I know there's one that's like the, oh God, it's like the Association of Mayors for Climate Action or something like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, mayors or whatever it is. And and I just wonder, is there some version of of folks like yourself who do jobs like yourself who who could help more specifically influence things like that federal policy, you know, to take a to take a proactive stance of, hey, these are the things that are transferable from, you know, from from the communities we live and work in um, that should be a part of these policies as opposed to just you know, people in D.C. failing to do what you have just said like they need to do, which is to come into these communities and ask questions. Um, Because, you know, I just want to make, find some way for this not, like you said, for this not to happen again, uh, which is is at best um, communities like yours being left out. Is it, is there some way to structuralize that to say like, hey, it's almost like there's more purchasing power when there's, when there's 50 of you. I don't know. I'm I'm talking out of my ass a little bit about it, but it's more just is there some way to shove it in their face, I guess, is I, what I'm going for. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying before. Like how how are you supposed to know? I was using this example with a colleague earlier, right? Like I'm not from Jersey and I don't know what time the bus um the school bus is stopping. So if I drive out at a certain time of the day, I can get caught behind the school bus, right? So what's the next best thing? The next best thing is that, you know, I I hire someone that's in Jersey that knows that school bus route. So that way that person will never get stuck behind the bus. And it's mm-hmm. the same kind of concept with um, the policies and the ideas that are coming out on the federal level is like, take a chance, right? Because I'm calling it a chance because that's what they'll feel like it is. But mm-hmm. take the time to like hire organizations from those local areas. Even if you feel like, okay, like, their solution, like a New York-based solution sounds very New York-focused, but if you hire someone from Chicago as well, if you hire someone over in California, and you wind up seeing that the solutions are pretty similar, then, you know, maybe that should be your federal, like, urban policy recommendations for energy efficiency. Right. Start there. Yeah. So that would be my recommendation for folks on the federal level. And, and you know, you, you have to acknowledge your role in this. Um, and you also have to acknowledge when it's time to give up power, <laughs> which again goes back to that to that greed and supremacy issue that people will feel very uncomfortable, right? Because you giving up the power that you've worked so hard for and you went to school for, it's like, if you actually care about climate change, that shouldn't matter. You should be able to step aside um, and provide right. the platform to other people. But you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you care about yourself. No. <laughs> of course. I mean, who gives up power? To be clear, like... Uh, Not this white is, people. This is the story. No, this is the story since they set foot on Jamestown. They're just like, no, we we got this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like we've... we've In so many podcasts we uh, and topics we've covered and subjects we've talked about, that, that same thing comes up is like, how, how is there... How does nobody think, oh, I want to help this community. Maybe I should talk to the people in this community. Like, it just makes absolutely no sense, yet it seems to just constantly happen again and again and again. 
Yes, absolutely. And I feel like, so I, I call this a common sense and I learned a lot from my predecessors. Like, right. It's just common it, sense, right? Like these are, like, again, these are things that my mother taught me. These are other women leaders from the community has taught me. They've always been like, listen, you listen to your elders, you listen to those around you, and then you, you know, provide solutions based off of what they're asking for. You're not right. just going to, like, you're definitely not going to, if I tell my mother and my grandmother, like, this is what we're going to do. She's going to smack me in the back of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, and that's like communities here. These people coming out, they're not even from the community. They're like, we're going to install battery storage for you. Aren't you happy? And it's like, they're not, they're not physically slapping you in the back of the head, but they're like, just eye rolling you like, goodbye, get out of here with this nonsense. So uh, doing it in a way that's non-extractive um, and doing it in a way that's more inclusive, I didn't come up with that <laughs> at all. Um, people right, way right. before me have been saying this. It's just that for some reason, like people play completely dumb and being like, well, we don't understand what the issue is, but we don't really want to give up our power or our money either. So there has to be another way. And it's like, we're going to continue this um, Tom and Jerry loop <laughs> because you're but not understanding. Right. And it's just, it's also crazy because, you know, and people all the time roll their eyes when I say this, which is like, look, I understand. I understand you don't want to give up power. It's a human nature thing. Um, but also like if we're, if we're basing this all on data, it hasn't gone great. Um, shit, right. shit's yeah. not great. Yeah. Shit's a lot worse for 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 communities like yours, for sure. Of course, for uh, indigenous and First Nations people, yep. for um, for 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 black people, for brown. I mean, you, yep. you name it. Um, and you know, people that look like Brian and I have been at the helm of this ship uh, for a few hundred years. It's not great. That like, if if you're going to be this big corporation that's basing everything on data, it's like time's up, champ. Didn't go mm-hmm. great. Like, let's give mm-hmm. something else a shot. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yep. <laughs> Definitely New York's taken some some pretty significant steps in the in the past couple of years uh toward going carbon carbon neutral. If there is what role if if any have have public housing advocates had in in those decisions and and how can we empower other advocates and communities uh and citizens to 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 take part in the future of their cities? There are two completely different things that are happening on public housing front. And again, this is kind of the lack of conversation that happens within sectors. Um, in the energy efficiency front, as you mentioned, there are um, very aggressive Climate Mobilization Act and the Climate Leadership Community Protection Act has been passed in the city and state to support us to get to net zero by 2050. Excuse me. I had like pancakes before <laughs> I had another one coming up. Um, yeah. well, no, 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 no. Hold on. What kind of pancakes? I had chocolate chip pancakes. That's that the, the only so correct the answer. That's the, the only correct kind. answer. People put the the fruit in, and I'm very, a very healthy human. But if we're gonna have pancakes, I'm not, like, just, yeah, just do it. I need, <laughs> I need, I need chocolate chips in there. What are we talking about? It's Tuesday. Um, put your chocolate chips in. Okay, please continue. Two um, totally separate things happening. Two separate things are, ha- are happening. After this, we're gonna have another podcast about pancakes. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm totally down. I love pancakes. Um, so. I'm actually love love all things sweets, but that's a separate conversation. You are in the so, right space. <laughs> so um, the public housing authority, we're actually working with them on um, working uh, like a community solar model where we're contr- where 
we're with other minority owned contractors. We're the only team that's 100% minority and women owned contractors. We're hiring folks from the community um, to support like educational outreach efforts. And so there's a lot of projects like that happening. There is also a multi-billion dollar deficit with public housing. And so this is the other side of it. What we're seeing is that the federal government, ta-ta-ta, the federal government is really pushing to like privatization of goods. So we're seeing privatization of healthcare. We're seeing privatization of education. And now we're seeing privatization of public housing. Um, Recently this week, it was announced that the New York City Public Housing Authority has been very happy with RAD, which is a rental assistance demonstration program, where um, today the way public housing is structured as Section 9 deals, which means the apartment is subsidized um, and will always be subsidized in perpetuity. Um, That means that your income would go up and down and it would go up only to like 30% of your income, but it would always stay affordable within market rates. Um, So if you are, let's say, you know, you're making a couple thousand years, your rent can be like a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. I'm sorry, a hundred, two hundred dollars a month. And then if the higher income, you know, the, the, the rent goes up. The other thing that exists is called Section 8 housing. And Section 8 housing completely eliminates the affordability of the unit into the affordability of your income. And it's attached to you. And so the concern with Section 8 is that there are rules. Um, if your income... Things happen, right? So your income can be really high one year and then it can go really low um, the following year. And so if section on Section 8, if your income goes really high one year um, and really high is like um, 50000 a year, which is really, which right, is a right. lot less than living wage in New York City, then that's it. It counts out the affordability on of your apartment and you're paying market rent market rates, rents. What is very kind of depressing and infuriating at the same time is that throughout the history in the past 10 years of New York City, people that had Section 8 vouchers were, you know, kicked out of the program. Landlords would try to kind of push them to to not re um recertify and the and there's not an there's not any more vouchers coming out at the federal level. So the federal government is like, oh, you know, public housing has a big deficit. It needs money. Let's make it private so that we can get private investors to invest in fixing the buildings. But what will happen is that the buildings will go from section nine, which is affordable housing units, to section eight, which is income based. Um, income-based affordability. And so now we're seeing this intersectionality of um, we have these climate... And this is where... This is like my frustration, right? Like we have climate projects that are happening and it's great because it's supporting the community and it's really creating a a healthier living environment. And at the same time, like, is that community even going to be there in the next 10 or 20 years with Section 8 vouchers and a private ownership structure um, that will own these housing that was built on black and brown land, which is a whole nother thing. It's like, great. Mm -hmm. So we took this land away from black and brown people, right? They own the houses. Robert Moses was like, I want, I want highways. So fuck your housing. We're going to put you temporarily into this public housing that we will maintain. And it was never maintained. And now, you know, 2020 federal government is coming back again and being like, well, 
we're kind of over you all. We didn't give you any, like we didn't, we, we had you living in really bad conditions and it doesn't matter because we're going to get private, private um, investment to come save the day and we'll give you a little voucher. But then the moment that you try um, to support yourself and, and go a little, like make a little bit more money, you know, you're just going to have to pay market rate and you really can't afford to live in New York, but that's not our problem. Um, <laughs> so um, my, one of the things that I, and there's nobody doing this right now, but I've been like, just, this is just me purely on Twitter being like, okay, federal government, like I hear what you're saying, but why can't we do community land trust? Like, why can't we um, engage the tenants that live in public housing, give them the appropriate tools, acquire financing so that we own the buildings and we own the land collectively because this land was ours and you took it away from us and now you're giving it to someone else to reap the benefits. And that's really not okay. I mean, we can do it in a sustainable manner where we're incorporating solar, we can incorporate storage, we can, you know, insulate the buildings really um, tight so we can get as close to passive house as possible. But but again, what's the value here, right? The value is more to the private investment um, and the developers and they really want to give them kind of that carrot than like the community members because they don't value them and they don't see them, they don't see them as anything else. Um, and so my thing for public housing as, you know, New York is going through this, other states are going through this privatization is really community members and organizations out there really try to think about ways that we can continue to have public housing affordable um, in perpetuity for black and brown communities that are sustainable. I don't, again, I don't want to live in an environment in a world where we've created utopia, fossil free future, and then black and brown communities are living somewhere else because right. the housing Which that is, they had, they didn't, ha- they don't have it anymore. Right, right, right. Cause we took that too. Sorry. <laughs> You're right. Sorry. It's like, yeah. uh, Jesus, like it's the last yeah, place we're in in New York. Now you want to take that too? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. That's what we this do. This is uh <laughs> this is uh sounds like the perfect time to get into uh how to help preventing that. Uh, yep. uh which is, you know, our main f- goal of this of this whole podcast is to talk about something very important that needs help and then get to the steps, get to the things that we can action do to, steps. to support action steps we like to call them. So let's so let's get into that. Uh and uh I'll I'll start with um what we can do, our listeners can do with their voice. Um what what Daphne are are uh, the uh, big specific and, and actionable questions that all of us should be asking of our uh, of our representatives, our local representatives, maybe state, etc. It would be every time you're talking about a, commu- a sustainability or a climate resiliency or any type of project related to housing. Where are the community members involved? How are you paying them? Where is that money coming from? Um, and how do you ensure that the transition is actually just and supporting what the community has been advocating for decades? That's kind of the action items that people really need to um, dig down to. I was talking about this public housing case. I'm like trying to like tell folks like, hey, throughout the United States, there's privatization of public housing. How do we collectively take a stand against developers and saying enough is enough. How do you empower communities? How do you organize those communities to become a collective to have the um, opportunity to own the the land that has been taken away from them? How do you 
give them um, resources to understand the technologies? How do you really leverage um, and give up your power um, to support a just transition for climate action? Um, I, I think it really just comes down to that. Really understanding kind of your role in, in, in this space and like how do you elevate folks that you traditionally don't engage and you and you might feel uncomfortable, you might not really see um kind of the 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 selling points per se, but do it. Do it anyways. The more uncomfortable you feel, the more the more you should continue going through that path. Um, because there are community leaders that are like actively trying to figure out how to support that transition as well. And once you connect with them, um, it can lead to a maraud of things. And so, you you know, for folks in New York, you can feel free to reach out to me and my team. Like I said, we're working on solar, we're working on air source heat pumps, energy efficiency. Like we're doing all of it, really supporting our communities and getting our communities um a part of the development and design, like we're not just going and being like, so we're planning to install 30 air source heat pumps within the specific region at a different, you know, with this specific BTO. It's like, no, like, what are you doing? How can we support your work? How can we elevate your organizations um, and put ours in the back burners? Cause we don't matter. Like in sure. order to get to climate action, like we don't matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, so that would be my recommendation for folks. And also on your hiring practices, like do better. Stop saying you tried because you like emailed a couple of people, like do better. <laughs> if I could reference the great Yoda of Star Wars, do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> nice, Brian. I figured you would like that one, Quinn. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Daphne, what about, uh, what about money? What can we do with our, 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 our money to, to help support? Pay people, <laughs> pay people the right, nice. the appropriate Love wages, like pay people the appropriate wages, pay people for their time, pay people for their resources. Um, also understanding that the intellectual property of the community, don't um, use it for your own extractive purposes, pay people for, if you're um, working together with idea, pay people for that idea, pay people for their research, pay people for um, their engagement, like, just pay people. <laughs> what a what a what a an idea! Wow, <laughs> I can't believe you. I can't believe you would just assume that they wouldn't do that, Daphne. I know, it's right? So, it's just like people automatically uh, like the first thing that comes out of their mouth is like, "Wow, I really love the work that you're doing at Kinetic Communities." Would you let me know your hourly rates that you can kind of help us brainstorm through these ideas that we have? Yeah, that's the email I get every single time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've never gotten that email, just in FYI. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting what you're saying here. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. it. I love it. I love these emails. They're like, thank you so much for your work. I really appreciate the important things that you're doing. Do you have, you know, a couple of hours to, right. to help us think about this? Right. Can you do free work for us? Thank you. <laughs> like, thank what you. Another- thank you for telling us that we had to pay our partners. Can you spend some free hours working with us to think about sure, sure, sure. partners? You're a low person. Can you do this for us for free? Uh, <laughs> um, wow. Uh, Daphne, it's been over an hour. Uh, I'm sort of sorry that I've kept, we've kept you for that long, but ho- hopefully she's never <laughs> gone longer than 20 minutes with yeah. us. And she's regretted every one of the 42 uh, since then. We really appreciate you being here though. Thank you very, very much. Um, uh, 
before we before we let you go, if there's first of all any recommendations of of any other uh, people that you respect, uh, admire, that inspire you, um, people that are changing the world like you are, please let us know either yes. now or you can shoot us a message later. But we love getting great recommendations from from guests. Yeah. So I mean, I have like I can give you a whole slew of folks. So. There are on the housing space, there are organizations in New York City that have um, worked supporting black and brown communities um, achieve home ownership. And so those are NHS of the NHSs, is what I'll call them this NHS of Staten Island, yeah. NHS Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another organization that is very dear to my heart. Um, they're called UHAB. They have been um, supporting, they have been around since White Flight. Um, <laughs> If you oh. guys don't know what that is, you should look it up. <laughs> no, we do. Um, okay, good. Um, and they basically, when white flight happened, they took black and brown communities that were squatting into buildings and like helped them rehabilitate the buildings and cooperatively own the buildings. And now, wow. yeah, they're, it's an amazing organization. And now what they're doing is supporting those buildings, fighting gentrification um, and ensuring that the co-ops have the right mechanisms um, to continue moving forward. And then white people are back. Yeah, exactly. You said, you, you said it's called you have. You have U H A B. U H A B. The urban you. That sounds yeah. great. I'll, I'll I'll type it up in the link, although nobody can see this. <laughs> it's fine. It's um, audio. You have, and then um, I I also want to elevate um, last two. I promise for folks no, that are really please. interested in. Uh, just transition in New York City. Um, there's a coalition called Climate Works for All. We do have a platform of what we're asking from the city. Um, when we're asking organizations to sign on to that platform um, to show solidarity with organizations that are doing um, housing justice, social justice, criminal justice, like we all collectively want to see a just transition, but we want to make sure our communities are involved. Um, and so that's kind of the third entity. And then the last one is being a woman of color in this industry has been incredibly difficult. Um, you guys can't all see me, but I'm also 4'11". So I'm pretty short. So not only am like, I'm a very like loud spoken New York Latina woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I'm also pretty short. And my height has had limitations with like people seeing me as a figure of authority when I'm in energy meetings. So they'll be like, Oh, you're so cute. Like, are you the intern? And I'm like, Oh my, I hate you. Like I actually am the executive director and now I'm not going to do business with you. But, um, (laughs) I've had that happen a couple of times where I go on like job sites and they're like, Oh, are you, are you, are you the new intern? I'm like, yeah, no, (laughs) I don't even look that young. So, um, what is wrong with people? Yeah. I've had, and people think it's, Oh, Oh, I can go into like, a whole nother hour of things that people have told me and they feel very comfortable telling me. And then I just sit there being like, like what goes through your mind that you feel so comfortable to say something incredibly racist and sexist to me. Um, But anyway, so the last organization that I wanted to elevate um, is um, from two of my colleagues who also uh, were feeling the same way. We actually had an event this Friday um, where there are women um, women of color that are just fed up with the industry. And so they created something called Women of Color Collective of Sustainability, also known as WOCSIS. Um, And we actually had an event this past Friday where we had 400 
and 32 other women of color across the country joined the first time ever. Nice. And people were just so happy because it was just such a sense of, oh my gosh, we're not alone. Like we're all together doing this. And like we're here to like F stuff up. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. So, um, you keep holding back that F bomb. I know. Bomb I know. You know Let what it loose. is? I, I know. It's just because I have to. I, I curse so much in like my regular life. So every time I'm like work mode, I'm like, okay, try to minimize the amount of times you're cursing <laughs> to like five times an hour. <laughs> the, the, the feedback Perfect. we get from people that are like, listen, this was really great. However, I was driving with my children when you went on your tirade. I'm like, look, things are dark. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. What yeah. do you want? Yeah, from I me? try my best exactly for that reason. I'm I've been told that I go on like I'll start ranting to people and being like, What's wrong with you? Like this makes no sense. I like I said, I really have no fear because if I love the work that I do. My company has been working um, aggressively in this affordable and energy efficiency space. and But I've been broke before. So I can lose every single thing. And I'm like, okay, great. Back to the drawing board. Sure, <laughs> so yeah. I have no fear in my heart when I say things. But I've also heard people being like, um, I have my kid here. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh shit, sorry. Oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. Oh shit. Oh yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Story, well, thank story you. We, we, can, we can rate this episode PG-13 officially. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Definitely. We have some uh, some last few questions for you, if that's okay. It's yeah, stuff yeah. we ask everybody. Real quick. Uh, it's a lightning round, sort of. And she's definitely never got to this part, so it's no she has no idea what's coming. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, I didn't know. Definitely. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I, no, I feel like it definitely should have finished it because now I'm like, oh crap. No, stop. <laughs> oh, yeah. You thought the first one was bad? Just wait. No. Uh, Daphne, when was the first time in your life, and you can answer these in lightning style if you're more comfortable, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? I want to say when I was, I think it was right after Sandy. So I was like 16. I realized that everything I learned didn't matter. And it was just what mattered was to like help my community connect to um, my family, right? Help my, help my family and the people that lived around us connect to engineers and connect to social services. And it was kind of like a guilt of being like, crap, I learned about sustainability and yet I couldn't even help myself with it. So I think it was that moment that I really started like not giving a fuck and really focused on like community um, and, and and energy and resiliency all at once. I love it. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, if, if that doesn't get you going. Yeah. <laughs> if your <clears throat> death light doesn't get me going, I don't know what will. <laughs> if your windows doesn't, not getting bashed in. Yeah. I know. I um, know. And it was, it was really helpful though, go- because it was like, you know, up until that time, I was still like believing the stereotypes, right? Like you should be embarrassed of where you should, you live, you come from, where you live, who you are. You should always be grateful. And I think it was at that moment that I was like, oh, fuck all of this. Like, I'm going to just do this and get it done. And I don't really care what people say. (laughs) There's something about rock bottom that just makes you go like, "Uh, yeah, I don't fucking care anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Um, uh, Well, we're we're thankful you are who you are. But, you know, obviously, um, you know, sorry you had to go through that to get there. Um, Don't apologize. You didn't send Sandy my way. Wait, did you? But did I? <laughs> I said you didn't. I mean, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. What, easy, easy, easy. Not this to show. Daphne, uh, <laughs> who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? 
who is someone in my life that's impacted my work in past six months? I always, my parents, the way they fought for for me and and for my community all my life has always impacted what I do. Awesome. Easy. Right. That's their one Even though they won't tell you what your real name is. They seem great otherwise. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they don't ever tell me what my name is. What's your self-care these days? What do you do when you feel overwhelmed and you got to just have some some Daphne time? Oh, two things. Um, Halloween planning all year long. I love Halloween. Yeah. And then I, um, (laughs) I have this guilty thing of like I always eat sweets and then I like do Spartan races. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> so I feel like Wait. trash. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. Wait, you're you me. You found your twin. <laughs> yeah. Dude. That's me. Oh, I awesome. literally eat m- my <laughs> diet is basically like 90% salad greens and 10% chocolate chip cookies <laughs> and then I just go run Spartan races to make myself feel better about it. Yep, that's exactly. I, I, although the opposite, I'm like ninety percent chocolate chip cookies and ten percent. I mean, green. to be clear, like I'm lying. Okay. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I've been able to. Let's do, just get it all out there. I like. I don't do it. I don't do any like workout, and then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sign up for this beast, and spend six hours oh. in West Virginia trying to get yes. home before the sun goes down because I'm like, I am not the right color to be out here in the middle of the mountain. Uh, yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, listen, two questions. One, yeah, right. do you think Spartan races are ever going to happen again? Uh, and two, we have to do one together now. You know that, right? I, I'm, I'm totally down. I just have to warn you, though. So my I do one with my friend, and she's like 5'11". So like she's a giant, and I'm a short. So what we do mm-hmm. is she's actually a really good runner, so she motivates me to run. But I am mm-hmm. pretty good at lifting her over the walls. So I can lift nice. you over the walls, but you have to wait for me for, to run. <laughs> a thousand percent. I mean, no question. And it's I'm going to be so not. happy watching yeah. you guys from the sidelines. Other sidelines? How many Spartan cookies? Races? Do- what do I do? Got it. I'm oh, you're going to have to wait like six hours. <laughs> I've been trying to get Brian to do one of these for I, so long. Oh my I God, like the eating amazing. sweets part you of this duo. Really do and it. then at the, after that, I'm done. No Spartan races for me. I love it. I've been able to do um, two trifectas. So congratulations! I mean, that is hard. It is, but you know, honestly, it's I. So I'm very passionate about my work, and it's like what I eat, breathe, and sleep. So Spartan races is something that's like has nothing to do with efficiency, efficiency in housing. Um, And I'm like, okay, this is this is my break. (laughs) Just like throwing myself across a wall and river. <laughs> oh yeah. No, <laughs> trying not to eat shit as you're flying down like a, a you know, a forest full of yeah. roots and you're on hour 5 is a great way to like just forget about your work for one minute. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Love All right, that. Brian, answer. bring it home. Here we go. Daphne, if you could send one book to Donald Trump, what would that book be? We have a uh, we have a big list of recommendations from all of our uh, of our past guests. Great stuff. Uh, it's on Bookshop, um, and listeners can find all that oh stuff in our God. show notes. That guy what would you even, add to the I list? Mean, he doesn't even read, but <laughs> this is very I very would true. Pretend it's like someone's reading to him. <laughs> I would say um, "Bargaining for Brooklyn." "Bargaining for Brooklyn" is an amazing book that I recommend you all to read. That talks about community organizations in the '60s and '70s during white flight, like what they've done to support. Um, and and like continue helping the community regardless of what was happening outside of them. So it's about my neighborhood. Again, like 
That's what I'm saying. Like he 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 won't even read this because he'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'm mad because they sued me because uh, I only wanted white people in my buildings." But <laughs> it's yeah. a great book about um, Williamsburg and Bushwick and like what happened during those times. Um, how like the community again came together and was like, you know, nobody cares about us. That's fine. We'll care for each other. You know, we'll create um, house housing for ourselves. We'll have childcare for ourselves. We'll support each other um, with legal representation. And it's just such a beautiful history of how my community pre-gentrification um, was able to like fight against um, things that were coming to them. So, awesome. Love that. Yeah. Excited to check that out. Yeah. Daphne, Lessing, where can our listeners follow you on the internet? So you can follow me. I'm like, I think LinkedIn is my first. Instagram is my second and Twitter is my third. Although Twitter and Instagram mm. are constantly like twist twisting and turning on that rank level. So Daphne Rose Sanchez, Kinetic Communities Consulting on um LinkedIn. And then for Instagram, it's I'm literally looking at it because I'm not really good at it. Uh Daph NYC and Kinetic Communities. And for Twitter, it's also um Daph NYC. I'm like a bad millennial. I'm not good at social media. I just opened all of these things like last year. All so, good. Follow me on or tweet me at Daph underscore NYC underscore. There you go. See, I'm learning. The those are good. Those are important. I need those. Thank you. Underscores. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, this has been informative and uh, and so helpful and encouraging and uh, and delightful as well. Um, and, and can't thank you enough for all the work you're doing for, for your community and to pave the way for other communities like yours. Cause there are so many in so many different places, um, that are all obviously very unique, um, uh, but are unified in the fact that, um, you know, people that look like us for hundreds of years have been screwing you over. So, um, <laughs> whatever we can do to help, uh, we, we want to do that. So, uh, thank you again for your time and, um, and for sharing your pancakes with us. You didn't. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. And I will definitely hold you accountable to that race whenever they happen because they're probably oh my God, not. I'm so yeah. excited yeah. I have like three waivers because they got canceled this year. So, <laughs> um, this is fantastic. Awesome. All right, uh, Daphne, we will talk to you soon. Say hi to your mom and dad. Thank for you us. so will much. Do. Have a great one. All right, take care. You too. Take care. Bye. Ciao. Bye bye. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. <sighs> Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>